salutations, everyone, and welcome to a special CultSpark minicast. My name is Bob Taylor. I write for CultSpark.com, as does Stuart Smith, who is joining me again tonight. Like everyone else in North America, Stu and I went to see Avengers Age of Ultron this past weekend, and for the next 20 or 30 minutes, we are going to talk about it. One quick note, this episode will be spoiler-heavy, as Stu and I will be discussing the entire movie, beginning to end, so if for some reason you haven't yet seen Age of Ultron shut down this podcast, go do that, and then come back and listen to us yap about it. So, Stu, I, Age of Ultron for me was probably my third most anticipated film of this year. I guess I'd probably put it behind Star Wars The Force Awakens and The Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino's new one, which both come out this Christmas or winter, December. Oh, does Hateful Eight come out in Christmas? I, I, I didn't know that it had I, I, even a tentative uh, release date. I think it does. I, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be December. So, But what we're saying is if for some reason I'm wrong, Age of Ultron could have been my second most anticipated right. movie <laughs> yeah. of the year. Uh, was it up there for you too? Or? Uh, yes. I mean, it was definitely up there. Uh, how, how could anyone who is a fan of the MCU not be waiting on pins and needles for this thing? It was, um, I'm a pretty big fan of the first Avengers. I think it has, I think it's a little slow to get going. I know you agree with me about this. It's, it's a clunky movie. Um, it's, see, it's a clunky, it's a clunky movie until it's not. I, I don't think it's that clunky. Age of Ultron is a clunky movie and we'll get to that in a minute, but the Avengers starts slow, but at least everything's moving in the proper direction. Even though it starts slow, it's building, it's building, it's building. And then it just gets huge in that last half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. So uh, even though it it takes you know it's best to turn the Avengers on a half hour in. It's always nice when you're flipping around and it's on FX and you start Avengers a half hour in. But at least it's built it's crescendoing. It's constantly building towards bigger and better things. Where the pacing in Age of Ultron is far wonkier, I think. But Avengers is a great movie. Joss Whedon was back for this one. Of course, they have all the you know. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans, and you got the full Avengers cast back, as well as uh, new characters Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, expectations were through the roof for it. And I got to say, I was kind of disappointed. You know, I don't know that I would say that I was disappointed. I don't, this is one of those things like I really need to go see it again because – I had high expectations for it, but I also, you know, I was trying not to keep them from being through the roof or whatever, because I mean, that, that almost just never works out for anyone. Uh, you know, when you just think that it's going to be the greatest thing ever. All right. And especially with this thing, because it, because it really is such a different beast in a lot of ways from its predecessor. You know, it's, it's, it's not quite the movie that I was expecting, both in good and maybe not so good ways. Um, I liked it. It's it's fun. It's a fun movie. Yeah. Um, you know what's weird? Like, because I did, I wrote a print review for Cult Spark, and the review reads negative. I, I mean, it, you know, it's eight paragraphs or whatever, and six of them are what's wrong with the movie. But it's not a bad movie. I, I no, mean, if, it's if, really not. If you want to get binary about it and say, is Avengers Age of Ultron a good film or a bad film? It's a good film. But the problem is, I think we're kind of used to these Marvel movies being great, at least in a summer blockbuster type of sense. 
And the things that are that are good about Age of Ultron are the things we just take for granted now. Well, the, of course, the, you know, these that... actors are good and having fun in these roles. Of course, the you know the special effects are pretty much top notch. Of course, there's humor, you know, especially with Whedon writing it again. Of course, there's humor and great little bits of dialogue embedded in all all the things that are good about these this movie are the things that were good about the original Avengers and that are good about a lot of the Marvel films. You know, so, I mean, that, that's what, one of the things that I was talking to a friend about earlier today is that it's like, go back and show this movie to someone in 1989 when Batman yeah. came out or or even like when, when the first X-Men film came out. You know, show, show this movie to me back then and it's just like, I don't even know if I could have handled it seeing a movie of this ambition when it comes down to it. Uh, just the level of action, the special effects, the, you know, the, the synergy, uh, between properties. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of insane what has actually been pulled off here, you know, when you're able to, to kind of pull back and see, see this in the grander scheme of things. Um, and it says a lot to the general quality of what, uh, Marvel has been able to pull off that we're looking at this movie that is a hell of a good time at the theater that has some great character moments uh, that has some of the most crazy comic book action that we've ever seen on a screen. We're like, yeah, well, you know, they could have done this, this and this. And I mean, it was a lot of fun, but, you know, I mean, here's all the problems with, you know, not, not that we can't be critical of it. it. It's just funny to me that, you know, it's kind of a compliment, I guess, to Marvel that that we've gotten to that point with with these films of theirs we're just at the point where it's easier and it feels more fruitful to talk about what didn't work because what does work is what always works with these things well and we've also kind of you know as much as i like the action in this movie uh, we've reached kind of a a point of diminishing returns like there's only so many times that i can watch these heroes go up against you know trash mob drones right and just like sort of mow through them and oh well there's you know, there's no real danger to these guys. You know, of course they're going to get through. You know, so it's just like my my kingdom for a more inventive finale. <laughs> What'd you call them? Trash mob drones? Yeah, try. You know, it's like yeah, in video games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a big problem with this movie as a whole. And let's go ahead and talk about the action for a minute because one of my problems is that the action scenes get progressively worse as the movie goes on. My favorite action scene in age of Ultron by far is the opening raid on the Hydra base, which I think is spectacular. Uh, you know, and I think everybody would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, that's... It has lots of great little, you know, Captain America flipping the bike at the Jeep and Hulk being called to run through the, the little, I don't know what it is, machine gun shelter that's set up or whatever. There's lots of great little bits of the of the heroes working individually in that sequence. Right. And then, the, the you know, the, there's some smaller action scenes, but the next big one is Hulk versus Iron Man, which is entertaining and fun to watch, but I think goes on a little too long. I think is a little bit of over, overkill, and I also think you can kind of see the seams around that sequence where they put that sequence in the movie just because we all wanted to see, and Joss Whedon obviously wanted to see, a Hulk versus Iron Man showdown. Not necessarily because it fit in the story really well, just because it felt like that was a box that needed to be checked for this film. Right. But, well, a box that needed to be checked, like, oh, okay, well, we oh, oh, time for, you know... Time for a big set piece. We, you know, we need to have three of these, and that's, you know, sort of the midpoint 
I mean, it's uh, weird because you don't. The, the reason Hulk goes crazy is that, you know, Scarlet Witch is going around messing with their minds and showing them visions that sort of it takes them down dark roads. And she apparently right. does that to the Hulk to turn him quote unquote evil or uncontrollable, I guess would be the better word for a, right. a, a 10 or 15 minute stretch or whatever it is. But y- you never actually see her do it. It's like, you see, like she finds banner or she finds, you the see Hulk. everybody else pretty right. much. You see everyone else's vision. You never see the Hulk, whatever vision she puts in the Hulk to set him off. You don't even see it. It's just, she tracks down the Hulk. She, she knows she can cause some mayhem here. And then it jumps to Tony basically having to slap down the Hulk. And even, you know, Tony, the reference to what is it? Veronica is the system for it, right. it, for imprisoning the Hulk. And then I guess the, the Hulkbuster armor is included in that. I mean, there's like a one line mention to it, I think, earlier in the film just to kind of set it up and say it exists. But that's but I mean, it's a real small line and that's basically it. So it feels sharply like, okay, Hulk Iron Man fight time. Don't worry about we're not really going to show you the lead up to it and or explain all that well. But just, you know, here it is because you want to see it. And it's fine. It's an okay action sequence. It just it feels jammed in a little bit to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's jammed. It's like you said, it, it's well done. It feels like it's part of a different movie. It does. Kind of. You know, like this, this feels like this would be something as part of like a Hulk solo movie or like another, you know, just something, I guess maybe because every, almost every other action sequence, uh, is so largely focused on the team that right. taking the time to, you know, have it just be these two guys makes it feel weirdly disconnected, I guess. It does. And then we get to the big finale, which involves the team fighting what'd you call them again trash mobs trash mobs <laughs> I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna use this term forever with the avengers once again fighting a trash mob of sort of samey bland vill- i mean technically they're all what it is is a bunch of robots and technically they're they are all ultron but we don't see a lot of ultron you know james spader's voice jumping from body to body or anything they're mostly just disposable they're just little can- drones they're yeah they're mostly just disposable cannon fodder to be torn through they're really no different from the chitari aliens at the end of avengers really no i mean uh, you could, you could ultron could say haha i've opened the wormhole in some of the chitari and it'd be it's, the exact same sort of result i mean there's just there's absolutely no greater threat posed by these robots which you you would think that there would be like in in some fundamental way but it's just it's the same thing it's the exact same thing not to mention that we already had you know iron man and war machine going off on a smaller but still robot army at the end of iron man 2 so right well no i mean that that was a drone army too right so even though it wasn't 10 billion guys on screen at the same time like it looks like on this it's it's very same right they're just they're just ripping through these these enemies that prov- you know i mean there's just there's no threat so we we have this problem and I, and i understand why it's a problem and i'm not saying there's an easy solution and i'm not saying i could come up with a solution but you have this problem where when you get to the end of these avengers movies we have 6 7 8 heroes that we need to have doing something and showing off their power and the easiest solution to that is to have them fight a bunch of bad guys but i mean how many times they can do it this i mean twice now seems too much already right so it hurts this film and i I mean i don't know what they're going to do next time around i can't imagine they're just going to have all six of them piling up on uh thanos for two straight movies but you know if thanos brings an army of just a bunch of samey 
cannon fodder bad guys that he's throwing at them, we're all going to be rolling our eyes. So I don't, it's, you know, I don't know what Feige and, and the people who are going to be behind Infinity War, I don't know how they're going to solve this problem. It's a tricky one. Well, I mean, here's part of the problem is that the villains in these movies have always been so, uh, you need more. You need more villains. You need something more than just one guy with a bunch of henchmen right. uh, to do something. You know, there there are so many bad guys, so many super-powered villains that they could bring into this, uh, you know, that they that they need... That they, I mean, just have them show up. You don't have to give all, you know, you don't have to set them up in a movie. They're just, you know, have them show up, give them a, a brief introduction, you know, where the, the, their leader is, you know, doing something to, you know, explain why they're being included or whatever. Or don't, just have them show up. People won't care. <laughs> just something, anything to keep it from being, uh, you know, the same sort of, oh, look, and now they all fall down and they're all dead at the same time at right. the end. Right. So, uh, so that's one aspect of the big final action scene that didn't really work for me. And then the other, which to me feels like a direct response to Man of Steel, is there is a lot of them going around and saving people. Saving non-powered, normal, regular, everyday people who are kind of caught in this huge battle. Almost to the detriment of the finale. It's like definitely to the detriment of the finale. And... You know, for people that know my thoughts about Man of Steel, it kind of makes me sound like a hypocrite because I'm one of those people that that do think they went too overboard in Man of Steel at the end. And I think it really hurts that film that Superman's more concerned about stopping Zod than he is anything that's going on around him, which is basically mass destruction and has to be hundreds and hundreds of deaths. I think it's a huge problem with that movie. And apparently Joss Whedon does too, because it seems in response to that, yeah, they've made sure that part of this big final action sequence in Age of Ultron involves lots of heroic acts being done to save the lives of regular people. Which but is which is which is ironic because I mean they still go to the to the very elaborate trouble, the very specific act at, you know before the fight even starts of evacuating the city, right. and yet they're still. Right. You know, trying to like, okay, it's, fine, yeah, that's great. Evacuate the city beforehand, then just focus on the fight. You know, you didn't, you didn't have to like keep going at it. It's noble, and I get it, right? And I can appreciate it. That Joss had the same problems with Man of Steel I did, and tried to do it this way. It's just too much. Right. I almost, I almost think that the original Avengers is the one that had the right balance because it has citywide destruction in New York, and you get a couple little bits you get iron man kind of saving those police officers and barking out orders and uh, there's cap. Like, oh i'm sorry yeah you're right it's captain america saving the police officers and barking out orders and a couple other small shots and it's like that's all you need we just need a pleasant reminder that right. hey the avengers are you know they're saving people too they're not just blowing shit up but to sit and watch as much of it that's jammed in the age of Ultron, it's boring and it's kind of counterproductive to everything else that's going on, I think. Right. So from the action scenes, that's where I come at from. Whereas the original Avengers, they saved the best action scene for last. Not just the best action scene in that film, but one of the best superhero action scenes, if not the best superhero action scene ever. I think they kind of get progressively worse in Age of Ultron. So that's one problem I had with it. You know, it's kind of back on the whole destruction thing. It's it's interesting that they go so far out of their way, the movie does, to 
show them saving all these civilians. And yet the Hulk versus Hulkbuster fight, I thought, was far more destructive like yeah, in terms of what is right act- in terms of what is actually caused in that fight and that city wasn't as opposed evac- to evac- man that of city steel wasn't, and that city wasn't evacuated right <laughs> right i don't know it, it that just kind of makes it feel all the more uneven and then there's ultron himself who i did not think was as good a villain as loki was last he could have been i could've. think he, i think he could have been but i had <sighs> Part of my problem is that I have, I think this movie has brought me to peak Whedon. Like, I still like the guy. I'll still watch whatever new and original stuff that he does. But I, man, I just, I got so annoyed that every other line out of Ultron was snark. Like, I, I get agree. it. I, I get it, you know, that you're going to have that personality come through, come through given, you know, his origins as Tony Stark's quote-unquote son. But every other line, every, it's like, it, it's, no, you don't, every, and really, I mean, that kind of extends to the script in general. It's like everybody was at their quippiest in this movie, and it just, it felt so, it felt, I don't want to say that it felt forced, because, I mean, the, the deliveries were good, and, and, you know, I mean, it was still funny, but... It's just like it just it felt so it started to feel homogenous because everybody is just throwing zingers as as often as they throw a punch. When it comes to Ultron, I'm going to agree with you, although I mean, look, Joss Whedon is one of my favorite writers in any medium in the world. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is my favorite TV show of all time. I love the guy. There's this steady criticism against him that's been around forever that all of his characters sound samey. They're all snarky. You know, this, that is the, whole deal. this is the first time that I've ever really felt that and way. And the thing is, is it's something that's never bothered me. And, you know, the same thing has been... Uh, Aaron Sorkin has been charged with the same thing. Right. And the counter-argument to that is, is, is it may not be entirely realistic, but there's nothing wrong with wanting to spend time with characters who are smarter and funnier than the average human being or the average right, American. Sure. And, and I, I have no problem with that. In any of Joss Whedon's shows, in any of Aaron Sorkin's shows, it's never bothered me. You're just accepting that it might not be straight realism to have everybody being this sort of snarky and funny and smart, but it creates a fun world to want to spend time in. Now, with all that said, I agree that I think Ultron would have been better served if he would have been just sort of the straightforward, menacing character that it looked like we were going to get in the trailers. Because in the film, he's kind of, he's a little whimsical, he's a little snarky, he sort of has these kind of crazy mood swings as a result of his programming, I guess. Right. And and instead of making a sort of cohesive character it just all ends up distracting i think well you know that it's kind of it's it's ironic because the more quote-unquote personality that he showed like the less distinctive he felt as a character and again i understand why we did this because you don't want him to just be the terminator you don't just right this straight ahead you just don't want a murder robot who does nothing else Right, but it's just have it's, have that personality to surface, every, you know, here yeah, and there. It just, it's, you know, make make it seem almost like he's trying to suppress it as opposed to reveling in it. 
maybe it was on maybe it was better on the page and in editing the movie it just got too broken up to really make any sort of sense how his right. personality works it just it comes across as strange but not in a compelling way on the screen right. so i was pretty much down with ultron also didn't really love and again it's exactly what i talked about up front it sounds like this whole podcast is going to be nothing <laughs> but complaints but if i have to give the movie a thumbs up or a thumbs down i'd give it a thumbs up i'd give it let's talk let's talk okay let's go through this next thing and then let's talk about what we loved okay i didn't think quicksilver and scarlet witch brought much to the movie um played by who are actors aaron taylor johnson is that his name aaron, yeah, aaron, yeah taylor aaron taylor johnson and elizabeth olsen i mean they're the actors are okay the characters they're giving this they're given this very simplistic backstory of they're sort of uh, as children their their family home was bombed their town was bombed in a war it was Stark missiles that were used on the attack so they have this grudge against Tony Stark they ha- they get superpowers because they've been experimented on by Hydra and they end up joining up with Ultron. But then it just kind of fizzles out. So you think they're headed toward this sort of this collision with Tony Stark about, you know, that would seem to fit in with, you know, Tony owning up to all the mistakes he's made over his right. life. But at some point it just fizzles out. They just, you know, they, as I say in my review, uh, Scarlet Witch gets a little bit of revenge on Tony when she gets to mess with his mind, although she does that with everyone else as well. Right. And then it just they realize how bad a guy Ultron is and they have to switch sides and that's it. And 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 Hawkeye, they actually reconcile joining the team. Hawkeye's the one that basically brings them on board. Right. And it's like the thing with the backstory with Tony Stark just goes nowhere. Well, it's weird because they have a bit more presence than this, but they almost seem to just sort of float in and out of the story. Yeah. As as needed, you know, it's like like he couldn't, Whedon couldn't really find a way to pertinently bring them, you know, throughout the whole thing. You know, without putting them too front and center, so he just kind of, you know, brought them in and out as needed, and so it, it makes them feel like a really sort of disjointed part of the story, almost, almost like they should have been the main villains somehow. Their powers, I didn't think, were that well realized. Uh, Quicksilver, especially the the X Men Days of Future Past version of Quicksilver, is a lot more fun. Um, Scarlet Witch isn't too bad, but they just kind of, again, it gets a little vague on what exactly she can do and whether she's... Well, I mean, that that's at least kind of, that's consistent with the comics. All right. You know, in the comics, she's always just sort of... I mean, it's technically what, telekinesis and telepathic, right? Well, it's that, but it's also, like, there's all, she also, she also has powers of, like, manipulating probability and stuff like that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Again, it's it's just it's weird. It's it's sort of vaguely defined at best, you know. And well, it char- doesn't it doesn't seem any less vague in the movie version, right? So. And I mean, you know, characters who are fast. I mean, that's that's honestly kind of a boring power. And yes. days of days of future past at least sort of cheated because it's like okay, well, we can just like we can plan this one thing around him. Uh, and then just sort of hand wave him out of the movie, right? And then that's it. Well, you because know. you also run into the problem that it, the speed guys are really overpowered compared to everyone else too, right? And so, I mean, Ultron probably should have released Quicksilver a lot earlier and more than he did in this movie, and maybe he would have won. <laughs> but uh, you right. got to rein those guys in a little bit and give the other team a chance. But um, yeah, you're right. It's just I think it's visually a lot more fun in Days of Future Past. 
So, again, the core team is great. I've heard some complaints about uh, well, Tony Stark's just a huge dick in this movie and they kind of ruined Tony's character. I don't think so. I think the stuff Tony does in this movie is in line with his character from all the other films. I, I think it's in line. I think that they they sort of backtrack a little bit on yeah. who he was at the end of Iron Man 3. Right. I mean, they justify it by the vision, you know, the vision that he gets from Wanda, but it, still it's just kind of like, really we're going to we're going to back up this way and you know, just that that's that was kind of annoying, not enough for me to really dislike the film, but it, it's just like part of that is the whole that's one of the consequences of of not having the same person writing every single one of these stories. Right. But still, you know, I, I think and, Tony's fine. Thor's fun. Yeah. Captain America's fun. The core team's all fun. The way they... I love, I love that Cap is now sort of like team dad. Yeah. You know, like the, he's... The swearing he's, stuff is funny. Right. The, the swearing stuff, you know, lecturing his his son on, you know, proper use of power for Tony and giving his other nerdy son advice on how to talk to girls and, <laughs> you know, just sort of kind of being that, that authority figure. Right. Uh, you know, which, which is good because, uh, you know, it, there, there, there are still times when I feel like, okay, they don't do, really do enough to make Cap seem like the de facto leader uh, of the whole outfit. And I like the way that uh, War Machine and, Falcon and some of the other peripheral characters in the MCU are worked into the film. That really works. It's just the new people. It's the brand new people created for this movie that didn't right. work for me. But that leaves kind of a huge hole in your movie when that doesn't work. Right. All right, Stu, what do you, what do you want to say nice about this movie? We're being too negative. And, uh, I, and I think, to, we, to be fair, we've, we talked about this online a little bit before we recorded this. And I, I think you like this film a hair better than me. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I liked it. I'll, I want to go see it again. I'll probably, you know, I will buy it when it comes out uh, on Blu-ray. You know, I, I look forward to watching it again because, I mean, there, there, are, a lot of, there are a lot of things that work. Uh, I especially look forward to watching uh, Paul Bettany again as the vision because yeah, that we was haven't just talked about him yet. Oh man. It, uh, to me, everything involving that character once he's introduced, uh, is just, is wonderful. Uh, the, the, the realization of that character, Bettany's performance, even, you know, I was actually kind of worried that, you know, I mean, them going with the full purple and green and yellow color scheme and all that. He just looks like work. he does in the comic book. Right, yeah. He looks he looks pretty much exactly like he does in the comics. And it just works. It works so well. I mean, that you just... you, you If nothing else, you have to hand it to Whedon for just going for it with that character and getting Bettany on board. I, I wasn't uh, as sold... To, I think Vision was the best new character by far. I don't think it's even close. Oh Although yeah, absolutely. I maybe wasn't as sold on him as you were. I think the design's fine. I think the concept of how the vision is created in this movie and stuff's fine. He kind of he gets the one big moment where he lifts Thor's hammer, and that's probably the best moment in the movie, if only for the reaction on Chris Hemsworth's face. Right, um, and it pays off the bit earlier in the film when they're all trying to raise Thor's hammer at the party. Well, and it, and it kills in the theater. Yeah, I mean, so my my theater just erupted. That's a very nice moment. However, it's not as good as the you know Cap ordering Hulk smash in the Avengers. It's not as it's not as big of a crowd pleaser, I don't think, as Hulk taking Loki by the ankles and just smashing him off the floor in the Avengers. You're I going negative like, again, Bob. I know. I can't help it. 
I just feel like <laughs> I, I just feel like the vision gets this one nice moment. It's not as much as a crowd pleaser as no, he several can... of the moments in the original Avengers, and then past, he, he can... and then past that, he's okay. He gets he gets several good moments. Like I love the moment when he you know flies out of his uh, birthing cradle and is just sort of you know he's stopped at the at the window and looking out at the city. It's just you know it's one of the few rare moments of quiet in the movie. I love his final confrontation with Ultron. You know I I thought that that was really well handled really well. It was okay. Don't you know you specifically said or I'm going negative again here, Stu. You said earlier <laughs> that uh, you know, we were talking about t- Tony sort of having a father-son relationship with Ultron in the movie, and then that's kind of dropped too, just so that the Vision deals with Ultron at the end. Like Tony well, and Ultron after that opening scene after the opening encounter at the party, they don't even really get much time together. Yeah, they really don't. I mean, it's it's one of those again. They could have it's, played it's, that father son dynamic more. Again, it's sort of the movie is sort of collapsing under the weight of its own ambition because I mean the the whole thematic through line is, you know, is is legacy. I mean, and that applies to every character. I mean, that applies to Hawkeye and you know Black Widow not being able to have kids and Hawkeye and Jeremy Renner are great in this movie. I'm just gonna say they are great. surprisingly. He get Hawkeye gets the best line with his whole oh, nobody will know. I can just kill him right now. Right. I mean that that was hilarious. That uh, I I'm not a huge Jeremy Renner fan. I think he's fine. Uh, but he's, he's always just been a little, a little bland to me, but he, uh, he really ran with the material. I I thought he did great. I'm a pretty big fan of both Renner and Hawkeye, the character. So I was glad to see him done justice with this film. Did you, okay. What did you think of, uh, the fact that he had this hidden family? Because I mean, that's been some people, some people have sort of seen that as a sticking point and, uh, were kind of annoyed by it. No, I liked it. I'm not sure why, why do you think people, did you, were you okay with it? No, I was fine with that. Well, why do people was, not like know, it? Uh, they just felt that it was like it was forced. No, uh, I I think it makes total sense. It's it gives an added it gives certainly a huge added dimension to an Avenger that wasn't there the last film. Certainly, yeah. Um, I think it makes sense within the context of the character because he is kind of the nine to five working stiff member of the team. Right. And you know, Linda Cardellini rules. Who wouldn't marry her? So, uh, I was completely fine with it. I thought it was one of the better aspects of the film. Um, I was also totally fine with uh, Bruce Banner and Natasha's relationship, which yeah, I know some people that you know I don't know if you saw today, but Joss Whedon quit Twitter. Did you? See I that? did. And there yeah. are there's one of the theories is that he was taking a huge backlash over the Black Widow Hulk pairing, and I thought that was fine. No, yeah, I thought it was. I think the only thing, the only aspect of that that I think could have been handled a little bit better was I think there is some confusion as to what exactly he was trying to say with the whole sterilization bit. Right. Um, I think it got muddled that he was saying she's a monster because she can't have kids, as opposed yeah, to yeah, I could see how that could feel. You know, as opposed to I'm a monster because I've killed a bunch of people. Because I mean, that's kind of what I thought at first too. But then you know, then you sort of think a little bit more on it and say, I, oh, okay. I well. think it's just more like that because of things that happened in their past. Right. They're, she's they're just she's just damaged goods they're all over the place. Both incomplete, somewhat broken people and it's and it's not necessarily strictly because she can't have kids but more just because she was raised in this just crazy super strict 
you know, upbringing where they where they raised her to be an assassin, a Russian assassin. And it's turned her into this human being that's not entirely complete. And she sort of sees that in Banner. And I think that comes across. Yeah, it, it might not be it might not work 100 percent well. It might not be totally complete like a lot of the things in this movie. But again, not not a sticking point for me. Not like some of the other things we've talked about. Right. You know, the thing about this movie is it's apparently there's a, a the original cut. Whedon's first cut for this film was like three and a half hours or something. Did you read that? Uh, I knew that it was longer. I didn't know that it was, there was a first uh, allegedly cut. that long. There was the first cut for this film that was considerably over three hours long. And uh, look, I'm just a guy with a podcast. I'm not claiming I can tell Joss Whedon or Kevin Feige or any of these people how to how to do their jobs. But considering the film feels like it was kind of butchered in editing, I, I almost feel like it wasn't planned properly. I mean, if they wrote a, if Joss Whedon wrote a script that ended up in a three and a half hour shooting film, of course it's going to end up feeling disjointed and right. and somewhat this, sketchy this, and the pacing being wonky when you have to cut it down to 225 or whatever it is. I mean, th- this is one of those things where the movie either needed to be shorter or longer. Right. One of the two. I, I feel if, like I, I feel like they planned for a longer movie. I, I feel like what was intended was a longer movie. They well, decided Marvel, that didn't Marvel work. Marvel wanted it much shorter. Like, they wanted to cut the farm stuff. They wanted to cut a bunch of the... Did? Marvel did. Really? Yeah. Uh, they wanted to cut the farm stuff. They wanted to cut even more of the uh, the visions that Wanda in, inflicts upon the upon the Avengers. Uh, there, you know, there was there was a bunch of stuff that uh, you definitely can't cut the farm stuff. You maybe can cut the visions because Thor's is dumb and his whole little side quest. It's totally an RPG side quest where he has to go out right. and find <laughs> he has to go out and find the mystical lake or whatever. All that could have been gone. That entire Thor's entire vision and that side quest with Stellan Skarsgård to the lake, it it's just for like one line of exposition about Infinity Stones. That's it. Right. It's the whole reason it's in the movie. So, but no, you can't cut the farmhouse. You can cut some of the rescuing of people at the end. Yep. Um, I was also surprised, Stu. I, you know, there were, I don't know how much you read spoilers before you saw the movie. I mean, I had, I mostly try to stay spoiler free on stuff, as you I, know. I generally avoided them. Um, I, I knew was, a few things. I, I, right. I was under the impression, just because of the, some of the general stuff that was out there, that there would be somewhat of a new Avengers team at the end of this film. Well, there is. Well, right. But and I knew going in, it might be leading toward that. And we know that. Well, I mean, Ant-Man comes out next in a couple months. But the big major MCU film that's next is Captain America Civil War, which comes out next year. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Next year. And uh, so I was just assuming that this film was going to have a much darker ending, that they were going to that the team was going to be divided, that this this, you know, fight over. Tony's creation of Ultron was really going to blow up in their faces and it was going to kind of split the team and lead into civil war. Right. And I don't, maybe I just got to the point where I was expecting that. Plus this movie was really being hyped as the empire strikes back of the MCU. Right. Of, but that's not really what happens. Is it? Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely some consequences, not many, but yeah, but I mean, there's not a whole lot that's really, I was like, wow, well, you guys are screwed now. I guess you really have to earn back people's trust or something. There's not that uh, – there is a new team in place at the end, and some of the core Avengers decide to go their separate ways, but it seems to be all under good terms. Right. And it doesn't even really seem permanent. I mean, it doesn't yeah, make it like, 
It yeah. just it just seems more like they need a break, which isn't that much different from how the first film ends. Right. So again, it's a, I feel like I complained this whole show. It's a weird <laughs> movie to talk about. Again, if I'm rating it, it's a 7 out of 10. It's three and a half stars out of 5. That's not a bad film by any means. I'd give it I'd give it a I'd give it an 8. I'd give it a, a solid 8. But considering the rest of the MCU to me anyway is mostly 8s minimum with some of them going higher and Guardians of the Galaxy being a 10, a perfect film which just came out last year, I can't help but to feel like they, they dropped the ball here. It's a flawed film. It is it is an undeniably flawed film. Good but uh, undeniably flawed. Right. I mean, you know, it's just, it, it it's one of those things where it's like it's not a bad movie, but you can definitely start to see where you know, it, it's sort of struggling under the weight of its own responsibilities in trying to, you know, fit into this larger framework and having the to to keep all of those plates spinning. If you read the interviews with Joss Whedon that came out during the the press right before the movie opened, I mean, he was clearly burnt out. I think it's good he's right. moving on. I'm excited about him getting back to his own worlds and his own universes. I don't know if he's going back to TV or has some original films coming out, but I, it seems like the right time for Joss and Marvel to part ways and maybe get somebody who can uh, can take on an Avengers film from a little different angle I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, let let him go off, let him do his own thing. Uh No, my let me tell you this, my my opinion of anyone involved in with this film has is is unaffected. I still love Joss Whedon. I think the MCU is still strong. It just it's it's a mild hiccup where this movie's solid but with problems, but not a major derailing of the MCU sure. not by any stretch. Anything you want to add before we sign off, Stu? No, I think that's good. What are the odds Ant-Man will be better? Um, I don't know that it'll it'll necessarily be better. I don't know that, I mean... Here's the thing, it could be, though. Before it, this weekend, I would have said no chance. It, now, it could, it could, it could be. be. It could be more enjoyable. I don't know if it'll be a better movie, just because it, it's like, you know, it's like the ambition of one thing next to another. Right. You know? Exactly. Well... Our ambition was to do an Avengers Age of Ultron minicast for you all. We've done that. Stu, thanks for joining me tonight. My pleasure as always. Um, everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit us at cultspark.com or on iTunes if you want to write us a review, a nice review. That would be great. We're on Facebook and Twitter, cultspark.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.